The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello and welcome to a special end of summer, but why does it feel like summer is never ending episode of The Secret Life of Cookies. My guest is climate scientist, Dr. Michael Mann. Before you turn off the podcast and hide under the bed like like I like to, because the reality of climate change concerns you too much, please give my conversation with Dr. Mann a listen. First of all, we all know how dusty it is under your bed. And second, know that listening to Dr. Mann should leave you feeling emboldened. A little bit of housekeeping before we get into it. All the recipes for the podcast and links can be found on my Substack newsletter at marissarothkopf.substack.com. You can support my work with a subscription for $5 a month, or if that's not possible yet, you can subscribe for free. And please don't forget to join Deep State Radio as a member for special perks. Either way, I am grateful for your support. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My guest today is Michael Mann, the Presidential Distinguished Professor and Director of the Penn Center for Science, Sustainability, and Media, and author of five, no, six books, the latest being, coming out in September, Our Fragile Moment, How Lessons from the Earth's Past Can Help Us Survive the Climate Crisis. Um, It's an amazing book, a book that everyone should read. and I hope everyone does. It may be in bits and fits and starts, chapter by chapter, just small bites, but it's an important book. Um, and I would say, um, I'm going to ask you the um, question that I'm, I, as someone who teaches people how to do interviews, never says never to ask. But, um, <laughs> but I'm going to start that way. Which is and I'll um, probably give you the answer that you're never supposed to give, so we'll be even. <laughs> um, which is why did you um, write this book? That's that's yeah. it's like that's the absolute like death knell of all questions. But I just want to hear you a quick answer on that. <laughs> I think it's a decent question. I have to say, by the way, that of all of the interviews uh, uh, that I've uh, scheduled for this book, uh, yours is by. Uh, the, the 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 title of your podcast is by far the most tantalizing 
And I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, about what's behind that. But I realize that that's not the, the topic of our conversation we'll today. Get, we'll so. get there in a second when I transition yeah. to a different question. But tell me um, yeah. just quickly, how did this, I, I, I know why this book came about, because I know what's going on in the world, but why this yeah. topic right now about doom and gloom? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, my, my last book was sort of about that in a sense, but it was really about the politics of um, uh, the climate crisis, the, the politics of climate uh, denialism. But as we uh, evolve past denial, because you, you can't be alive today watching the news or reading the newspaper and credibly deny w- what's happening. We can all see it. And so denial is incredible anymore. And yet, you know, we never thought that the fossil fuel companies and those promoting them would just roll over, would just lie down. They're they're not doing that. They've moved to other tactics. um, And it includes uh, delay and division and um, uh, distraction, deflection, all those D words. And one of those D words is, is, is doom or despair mongering. Ironically, because if they can convince us it's too late to do anything now, it potentially leads us down that that same path of inaction as outright denial, right? And so, and what's so pernicious about that is they're really targeting and weaponizing well-intentioned people who would otherwise be on the front lines, but trying to convince them that there's no, you know, there's no purpose to that. There's there's no. Uh, you know, there's no hope and there's no reason to do anything other than to enjoy it, you know, enjoy the ship while it goes down. Um, and so, and just to finish the point, because I can already see you've got follow-up questions. And, and, and so I realized that paleoclimate, uh, you know, something I hold very dearly. It, it was sort of my bread and butter as a young scientist. Uh, it's where I really got my start um, as a scientist uh, in the world of paleoclimate and the hockey stick curve that we published 25 years ago. And so it's sort of getting back to my roots. But one of the things I realized was that paleoclimate was being abused. Uh, it was being misrepresented. And not just by the climate deniers who have misrepresented climate, you know, data and climate science for years, but by doomers who will point to past extinctions, for example, and say, this is what's happening today and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And so I realized that the the science that I hold dear was being misrepresented, was being abused to service this agenda of sort of doomism and despair. And, you know, I, I, I... sort of thought, this is the book that I have to write. At this point in time, this is the book I need to write. Um, thank you for that, um, for indulging me in that question. And, and it was, it was a, I'm glad I asked it because it's a good, it's a very solid answer um, because right now um, I, I know, uh, first, the thing I wanted to say, I wanted to jump in and say was, um, I just wanted to wish I would been in that meeting with Shell or BP or whomever was like, you know what we should do? <laughs> Let's just own this doom stuff and just go with it. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that has to have been the way it went, right? They have given their public relations people the go ahead to go and do that. And it's terrifying. Um, but we all know, okay, many of us, uh, agree that climate science and climate impact is real right now. Two times the number of people that died of COVID have died, two times as many have died of heat related uh, issues over the past couple of years, Um, two times more than people who died of COVID. 
Um, it's, it's hard not to see on the news this past couple of weeks. We've yeah. had, um, cause this, we were, um, recording this on the day before Labor Day weekend. We've had Idalia. We've had uh, what's going on in Hawaii, among other things. Um, and that's just here in our own country. Um, and those of us who traipsed off to other parts of the globe this summer to visit, you know, let's say, for me, in my case, Roman ruins, um, yeah. it was 104 yeah. degrees yeah. on the Palatine Hill and yeah. it was really hard to take and I'm yeah. reasonably fit. Yeah. yeah. So it's really hard to not to deny that it, and, and not to get despairing about what next summer holds, what the 10 years from now holds. Will my children ever visit, yeah. you know, be able to go back to Italy and visit it? You know, the, yeah. the tarmac melted in Sicily, you know, yeah. or Palermo. Um, with, so let's just take a step back for the yeah. people who yeah. are um, in the back rows and maybe not paying attention. They're on their iPhone and explain <laughs> to them. There would be half of the students in the course I'm teaching right now, at least. At least. It's late. And I, I literally gave the lecture yesterday to my class and I said, please no AirPods and hoodies. And please, <laughs> yes, you can write your friend and tell them you want the turkey sandwich, not the tuna sandwich. Okay. Where, but then, where are you teaching? You're at, you're I teach at, at Montclair State University. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just up, just up the road. Yeah. Um, but. We get a lot of Jersey kids, too, here at, at Penn. So we're probably probably some of the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the same sort of. I think kids across uh, the world are, are like yeah. that right now. Yeah. Um, but it's. Can you please give us a little bit of a sense of what is causing this? It's hard not to look at this and think, okay, well, climate change is here. Um, what has caused what has happened this summer that we've seen? Yeah. And how do we not go screaming for um, the hills, the cool, cool hills, knowing yeah. this? Well, maybe that's what we should be doing, uh, <laughs> but at least headed to the those cooler <laughs> hills. Um, I mean, and that's, that's actually, you know, it gets into a serious point here, which is um, mm -hmm. climate-driven uh, migration, right? And we're seeing people, sure. it was just a story I was watching earlier because the Texas governor has like erected um, obstacles uh, to refugees crossing uh, into Texas. They're, they're now going to New Mexico and it's so hot right now that they're dying. You know, we've got refugees who are dying from... Uh, heat exhaustion. Uh, this is the world we live in now where it's becoming too hot uh, in many regions or too dry uh, or sea level rise um, is mm -hmm. uh, inundating our coastlines or you know, in Australia where I did a sabbatical during the black summer a few years ago. I oh was there gosh. at that time. And, you know, and people literally, uh, there are areas where you, you can't safely um, live anymore because of the, the devastating wildfires that threaten a larger and larger part of that continent. So, I mean, we have people who are being driven from w their homes by climate-related, uh, you know, uh, heat and extreme weather events and coastal inundation. And that's leading to conflict, right? Because you've got less livable land, um, less uh, uh, habitable um, you know, land, a larger global population, less food, less water, again, because of the stresses being brought by the climate crisis. And so it's this sort of perfect storm of, of security um, and conflict, uh, a, a, secu a security and conflict disaster. That is unfolding, and and if again, if we if we continue down this road, 
an apocalyptic future is not only possible, it, it's essentially ensured. That is a possible future. We're at that juncture right now where we can avoid that. We're seeing the, dev, you know, we're starting to see those devastating consequences, but we're not yet committed to, you know, a literally a world where human civilization uh, is not possible. That That's possible if we continue down the road. Right. And I think you make a, a clear point in your book that societal breakdown is possible, but that right now, like you said, we're on the crux of change. And you do offer up some hope that perhaps, um, which contrasts say to like, I listened to the woman who's in charge of like Florida for FEMA. And she said, you know, it used to be that our jobs were focused on a couple of key points during the year. Yeah. And now my job is year round. Yeah. Oh, of yeah. Taking care of the problems that occur because of climate change. Oh, absolutely. So, and while we're dealing with a landfalling hurricane in Florida, we've got wildfires out, you know, in the Western U.S. Um, <clears throat> so we have these multiple disasters now that right. are spreading our, you know, our, our uh, disaster relief infrastructure thinner and thinner. And, this, and statistically, the areas affected by like a heat dome um, are expanding like by 25% each and every time. So those of us who feel sort of happy and safe here in our beautiful New Jersey suburb, I don't know really why if we all should feel safe anywhere. No, no there's be. no place that's safe. When you look at, I mean, you're not that far away from, you know, uh, the Philadelphia area where I live. We're mm -hmm. just outside of Philadelphia in Bucks County. You may have remember there was this flash flood this summer, which was right. driven by just unbelievable amounts of precipitation. A warmer atmosphere holds more moisture. So you're going to get bigger flooding events. And, you know, I was interviewed about that event by uh, some local journalists. I said, we're, we're seeing the devastating consequences of climate change here. So whether it's the floods and people, people dying from these uh, record floods or the wildfires, the heat domes, the Inundation of our coastlines, no place, literally no place now is safe from climate change. Except maybe my kitchen island, she said in a really poor segue. Um, <laughs> before, before we started this podcast, you said, I mean, you said this is sort of an intriguing sounding podcast name. And the truth is the secret life of cookies does deal with baking, but it started as a means of sort of self-soothing while talking about yeah. really, really dire events in the world because it started in at the height of COVID and uh, Trump uh, doing his um, crazy dance. On well, I mean, I was a little disappointed, frankly, because I really did think we were going to be talking about cookies. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we we are we're actually I'm making a dish today. You can't really see it, and obviously, no one at home can because this is a podcast uh but um i'll do it as asmr but here you can hear butter um i'm ma i'm making a dish that i had when i was bare uh braving the 104 105 degree temperatures in italy this summer yeah. so it's a little bit of an homage to that and it's a um a, an italian uh pastry uh like a crostata and it's mm. very sort of um a buttery, crumbly dough that I flavor, that you use um, egg yolks in to make it really rich and lemon 
and I'm going to fill it with an almond cake called Frangipan, which is a fancy name, and I like it better than almond See, cake. See, I told my publisher this was an interview I wanted to do in person. <laughs> exactly. I could have gone down to Philadelphia with my oh, well. bowl and my butter next, next time. time. I'll, I'll drive one down, and I'm going to put fresh apricots on top of that and mm. kind of bake it all up, which mm. would be nice. But it will remind me of just how grievous the <laughs> – you know, if I'm going to be on the deck of the Titanic, I might as well have something nice to eat. But your point, you have offer up um, a hopefulish view of this, which I have a hard time getting my head around because I see a lot of climate change deniers out there. Yeah. And um, I think you've, I've even heard you in various interviews talk about how, um, challenging it is to be a climate change scientist right now how do we convince more people or will that help to convince more people that climate change is real is there a path yeah, to well, yeah. helping people get there so, so here's the thing and and this will be a surprise to you i think um this is a surprise to everyone if there are people you know they're um polling uh, uh organizations there are um you know, public opinion um, uh, specialists in the academic world who have been doing, you know, consistent uh, public survey work, uh, monitoring public opinion about climate change, uh, particularly the uh, group at uh, George Mason and Yale. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they done, uh, you know, for, for uh, a number of years now, consistent polling, looking at public opinion and they sort of classified into different categories. It's called the six Americas because there's six categories all the way from dismissives to the alarmed. Um, mm -hmm. And so the question is, well, how, what percentage of the American population is in that dismissive camp? And that's, you know, dismissive, that would be the uncle at Thanksgiving who goes out of his way to, mm -hmm. you know, tell you about the latest Fox News segment he saw demonstrating that climate is a hoax. Uh, people go out of their way to sort of promote climate denialism, it's only like nine to 10% of the public. You would think it's a much bigger chunk, 30% uh, or more. You, In fact, if you ask most people, what's that, the percentage in the public who are mm -hmm. like that, they'll give you numbers like 30% or so. And that, that gulf has been maintained by a deliberate disinformation campaign intended to make you think that denialism is far more prevalent than it really is. And on social media, it's really easy, right, to use bot armies to flood Twitter, especially Elon Musk's X, um, right. which is uh, very user-friendly to petro-states who helped fund his buyout, <laughs> like Russia and Saudi Arabia, and are now um, and can now run free with misinformation and disinformation that is intended to make you think that there are a whole lot of people out there who deny it because the more you think that people around you deny it, the less you are likely to engage with them on climate out of fear that it will create conflict. <laughs> that's you that's know, a big part of what's going on. It's an enormous part. I think it, it should be the part that's reported more than anything. You know, Absolutely. I, I, I studied the First World War for, in graduate school. Um, that was my focus um, on the popular culture and media. And a lot of what I was talking about was propaganda. Yeah. And, I don't think uh, General Kitchener, <laughs> the father of propaganda during the First World War, yeah. could have imagined <laughs> the idea that there are robots, literally, you know, if, like, if, like that are out there 
on behalf of Petro dollars, you know, spent by, you know, paid by Petro dollars. It sounds funding. like we're living in a dystopian novel, a future sort of, but it's here. This is the world we live in now. And with AI, with, you know, <laughs> with um, large language models and, uh, and ch- you know, AI-driven chatbots, um, right. we're in, certainly, it's, it's a brave new world we find ourselves in. Uh, it's, it's very scary, too. And um, you go back, um, I, you also, I think this week you also talked about Vivek uh, Ramaswamy's oh, yeah. little post- First first semester uh, roommate uh, at uh, UC Berkeley was a Vivek. So it really troubles me. He was a great guy. He's still a good friend of mine. His name is being sullied by um, this this other Vivek now. (laughs) Penetrated our, uh, yeah. So that's, and that's part of his shtick too, right? One of the things I did see though was a um, a study by the Pew Pew Research that came out in the beginning of August that I found heartening in that it showed obviously like if we're going to look at like across political divides, um, even though many people, so occasionally I do get letters from people, including one today saying, we just like your recipes, please stop, stop being so snarky about politics. Yeah. Well, I'm not being snarky about politics. We all have to be concerned about this. Yeah. Um, and that's what comes when you, you know, subscribe to my recipes. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, comes with it um that the democrats by and large across the spectrum you know and i'm completely you know uh like distilling this down to the most basic very much like yes climate change is real and we need to do something about it and um we think the government should invest in renewable energy sources etc etc and the republicans and this is where the surprise came the hopeful surprise came to me was it's a small number of Republicans and most of them are over the age of 65 who are like, you know what? We should invest more money in coal and, you know, uh, oil. And it's Republicans under the age of 30. That's right. That there are some, but there are Republicans under the age of 30 who believe that crisis climate change is real. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and and you even saw that at uh, the debate when uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy went down that sort of denialist frame. He was very careful in the way he, he, he didn't literally call climate change a hoax. He talked, he he said it was the climate agenda, sort of weasel words that he put in there for plausible deniability. No, I didn't deny that it's real, (laughs) Um, but we know what he meant, what what he was trying to communicate, Uh, but he was booed by that audience. Um, for his statements. It was an audience of independents. Um, young, you know, voters, including young Republicans, uh, are, are are not with him. They are, you know, not going to buy into that sort of framing. And the Republican Party is going to continue to lose younger voters um, if they continue down this road. And so there, there, there is, you know, a, a grain uh, there is a sliver of, of, of good news there in that if this is the direction they want to go, they're going to be losing elections. Now, um, you know, they still uh, have, you know, we've got a Supreme Court that has been weaponized against climate action, and, and it's going to take many years to turn that ship around. And so there's some permanent damage that's already been done. But uh, But if they continue to lose elections, 
then you know that's good for the standpoint of of climate policy. So the um, you do offer this hopeful ish view of our possible um, few future based on the past history of Earth. Yeah. But, you know, I look at the past 200 years or so of industrialization and like the use of um, oil and fossil, I mean, fossil fuels and carbon emitting fuels. And I don't know how we can even compare that to anything that happened in our past. So how do we like make that leap in our mind? Yeah, and there, there. So there is this, and you know, if I would say there's a recurring theme in the book of this mm-hmm. sort of tussle between elements of fragility and resilience, because you can find examples of both in the paleoclimate record, and so it's a cautionary tale. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of the the fears that have been promoted that we, for example, have already warmed the planet to the point where uh, we've released. Uh, massive amounts of methane from the permafrost and there's nothing we can do to stop that. Um, right. What I show, and, and often the argument uh, is made uh, that, well, because we have examples of that happening, uh, having happened in the past, like the, uh, the end Permian extinction, sometimes called the great dying. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I show is that that's not what happened back then. It's not what's happening right now. And these scenarios of like runaway warming from massive amounts of methane, it's not supported by, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the past climate record. And, and, and it's not supported by the measurements that we're making today. The truth is bad enough is another recurring theme. Um, and the truth is that we are putting carbon into the atmosphere through fossil fuel burning at a faster rate. Um, than has ever happened in the past. And right. so there isn't a perfect uh, analog when it comes to what we're doing today. And so there are some things that we can rule out and you know, say that, that worst case scenario that's just not objectively supported by the evidence, by the data. Mm-hmm. But there's some pretty bad scenarios that are supported by the data. Um, again, if we continue down this road, if we don't reduce our carbon emissions pretty dramatically over the next 10 years, then we'll warm the planet. You know, we start to get into that range of more than three degrees Fahrenheit warming of the planet. And then we really will start to see some uh, irreversible impacts and, and, and things that are far worse than anything we've seen uh, so far. And so what I say is we're not going to avoid dangerous climate change because it's already here. If, if, if you're in Maui, it's already here. If you're in Canada where those wildfires have been burning all summer, you're, it's already here. If you lost you know, loved ones in the, the floods that took place here in my home state of Pennsylvania, it's already here. So we're already seeing dangerous and deadly climate impacts. And it's a question of how bad are we willing to let it get? We can prevent the worst, but we can't prevent the damage because it's already occurred. So when you crawl into bed at night, I assume you sleep. Uh, (laughs) you're very busy but um how do you lull yourself to sleep when you have all of this running around your head and i I, it sounds like a kind of flippant question but the truth is i have kids who are permanently worried about climate change who will make themselves flippant comments about that well that doesn't matter because climate change is here and these aren't kids who 
you know, aren't going to try and do something about it. They still are, but they feel like their, their future is doomed. So how do we get to sleep? Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, I, I count sheep, uh, sheep. <laughs> I, I was going to, I count petrochemical dollars. Well, sheep are white and they're reflective. And so if we had a planet covered mostly in sheep, it would literally cool the planet back down. Um, and so it shows that I'm always thinking of, you know, creative ways of solving the climate <laughs> crisis, even when I'm trying to get to sleep. But no, uh, <laughs> I, I would have a difficult time sleeping if I'd come to the conclusion that it's too late, that, that we can't do anything, because then there would be no purpose to what I do every day, <laughs> which is getting there <laughs> and trying to explain to people why there is still an opportunity uh, to act. Um, the, there's one concept in your book that I think, um, I, I, that I didn't know, um, that I would love it if you could explain in layman terms to the people listening, which is the phrase, and I'm going to pronounce it the way I want to hear it. I've never heard it said out loud, which is hysteresis. Yes. Which sounds like hysterical. That's it does. <laughs> it's, it's, which actually is a sort of a gender, you know, yes. uh, <laughs> sort of connotations of misogyny. And it's not a word <laughs> I like very much, but it is the scientific term for, for better or for worse of the phenomenon we're talking about, hysteresis. Yeah. Right. And what is its relevance? Like briefly, what is it? And what is its relevance to our current situation that we're in? So the example I like to use, because uh, I think we've all encountered this, like, you know, those uh, those shower faucets and you're trying to get the temperature just right and you can't do it because like you turn it in one direction and it gets too hot. You turn it the other direction and it's like not turning the same way. So you, yeah. you so with the temperature that you arrive at um, doesn't correspond to any unique position of the knob. It depends on which direction you're coming from. Are you turning it up or turning it down? Right. That's an example of hysteresis. Um, it's when a system doesn't just depend on the state variables, like the amount of carbon dioxide um, in the atmosphere. Um, it also depends on where you're coming from. Are you starting out with a frozen planet and warming it up? Or are you starting out with a greenhouse planet, a Venus-like planet, and cooling it down? And it turns out that depending on the direction you're coming from, for example, uh, mm -hmm you will, in, at today's level of greenhouse gases, um, or let's say the sort of the current sort of brightness of our sun, um, given the current brightness of our sun, if you sort of do the math, um, you use a, a climate model to model the physics of the climate system and how it responds to the heating of the sun. You can show that for the current level of brightness of the sun, there are two different possible states of the earth. One which is frozen and one which has very little ice like today. And so it depends on what direction you came from. Um, and so the practical implication for us, um, you know, we were uh, talking a little bit uh, briefly, there was a mention of the Pliocene uh, yeah. you know, period a few million years ago, uh, when we know that the Greenland ice sheet didn't exist and global sea levels uh, were, you know, at least uh, 15, maybe 20 feet higher than today. And the carbon dioxide level was about what it is right now. 
And so this could lead you to think, well, all right, does that mean that when right. we let the climate catch up with the carbon pollution we've already put in the atmosphere and it sort of comes to a new equilibrium, will that new equilibrium look like the Pliocene with sea levels that are tens of feet higher, a massive inundation of our coastlines? Uh, and it turns out probably not uh, because we arrived at the Pliocene we had a climate that was cooling slowly from the hothouse conditions that existed tens of millions of years ago, and it cooled into the Pliocene. Today, we've got a planet that we're warming up potentially to that same level of CO2, and the amount of ice that you get isn't necessarily going to be the same. And if you want a simple sort of way of thinking about it, when you have a Greenland ice sheet already, it sort of resists melting because it's reflecting sunlight back to space. It's helped cooling the climate. So when you have that ice sheet, it's pretty resilient and you have to turn up the CO2 knob even higher to get rid of it. But when you do get rid of it, it can happen very quickly. And so what that means is maybe we're okay right now. Maybe the Greenland ice sheet isn't doomed to disintegrate and give us you know, uh, potentially, uh, you know, 20, 20, you know, the better part of 20 feet of sea level rise. But when you study the, the past record and you look at where those sort of tipping points are, we're probably not very, very far either. If we warm the planet more than three degrees uh, Fahrenheit, we, we could, and then we get CO2 levels up to like 440 or 450 parts per million rather than the 420 that they are now and were during the mid-Pliocene, for example, if we get those CO2 levels, you know, somewhat higher, then we could commit to uh, a, a fairly rapid disintegration of the Greenland ice sheet. And so what history buys us is a little bit of resilience. You know, the, the Greenland ice sheet probably isn't a goner yet, even though our mm -hmm. CO2 level matches the Pliocene CO2 level. We've got a little bit of extra resilience there because we've already got the Greenland ice sheet and it's helping us out. But the, the models tell us if, if we warm the planet, you know, another half degree or more beyond that, you know, one and a half Celsius, three degree Fahrenheit, if we warm it more than four Fahrenheit, we could see that happen. So a little bit of good news, but also some bad news. We've got a margin of error, but it's not a big margin of error. Okay. Um, thank you for explaining that. Now I, I act, I do understand it much better now and I hope other people out there as well kind of start to understand what the balance is there. Uh, yeah. One question, you know, just a little question before we leave, uh, or, or actually I have two questions. One is, um, uh, but I'm, I'll leave that for last. The um, question is, I don't have petrochemical dollars. I get one vote. I know I can, you know, encourage lots of youth to vote. Yeah. But all of that takes a lot of time. And yeah. I feel a lot of us are sort of beginning to pant a little bit about how near all of this is. How, what can little old me do? I've got a Supreme Court that really doesn't, you know, yeah. have a care of what I have to say. Yeah. and. Shell, who just yesterday were like, eh, carbon offsets, we're not going to do anything. We've decided to shell them. Um, not yeah. that I've ever believed much in carbon offsets, but um, what, what can, how can I compete with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're doing all the things that a person could be doing, right? And you're sharing, you're sharing this conversation with your listeners, and you're helping uh, get the word out. And that, then, so we all are doing what we can using whatever, you know, tools or opportunities or uh, platforms that we have, and 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 that's that's the way it works. We're all we all have to do what we can. Now, what we can take some solace from is the fact that if you look at the physics, you know, if you just take the the the, the the physics of the climate, it does not dictate that it's too late to keep the planet below that, those catastrophic levels of warming. The technology that exists today doesn't tell us that it's too late. We've got the technology to decarbonize our, our economy on the time scale necessary. I talk a little bit about you know the, the studies yeah. that have been done in the book. And so the obstacles aren't physical. They're not technological. They are, and you've put your finger on it, they're political at this point, but political obstacles can be overcome. So we know what our challenge is. Our challenge is to not give up, is to hold the feet to the fire of the bad actors and the bought out politicians, use our voice, use our vote to do everything we can to, you know, because individual action, you know, alone isn't going to solve this problem. But when we work together, when lots of individuals act and we get collective action, that has real consequences. And we've seen that. We even saw in the, the, la in the midterm election, the youth vote was up uh, because mm -hmm. they're ta they've taken notice. They understand that it's their future that's on the line here. And they're starting to turn out and vote. And if we can continue to get young folks to be engaged and to, and to get out there and use their voice and use their vote, we can do it. I am absolutely convinced that we can. That is um, a very hopeful note and very nicely said. I think it's important to remember um, what you said there in the middle, which is we have, you know, we, as they used to say about them, like bionic man, we have the technology. Right. To make the world's first, uh, <laughs> yeah, what did he had an eye and then one of his legs. <laughs> But then there was like Lindsay Wagner and she had, she had the ear, she had, had the, the ear. ear and like if yeah. you put it together and made a bionic baby, it would be perfect because, but alas, it never happened. They never got together. It was, they really never did. It was sad because they could have probably saved the planet right then and there. Exactly. I'm glad we've taken this down to a important cultural moment in Absolutely. our lives. Um, really, <laughs> does it fill it down? I mean, is there anything um, think, more important in the history of modern American culture than the six million dollars? Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, no, with inflation, sense. he'd be like the you know the seventy million, no hundred, maybe I don't know, two hundred million dollar man, maybe. Probably, yeah, About but to, yeah. still not as rich as Elon Musk, um, <laughs> possibly, and definitely not as Sadly, rich as so. Donald Trump. Um, just one possible, I, I thank you so much for being here, first of all. Um, the same sometimes we add, we add on a bonus portion of this. And I have one kind of, uh, one question to you that yeah. popped up, which was, you said um, that being a climate scientist is really hard. And uh, for as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm sure you must get it coming and going from people. But being a public health scientist right now is worse. Why well, did you no. say that? Some of my best friends actually are, you know, uh, uh, Peter Hotez is a good friend of mine and he has been vilified for the public health messaging that he's been doing. Um, uh, Anthony Fauci, of course, who I know, is, they're both really good people who have been turned into villains by the right because their message is, 
inconvenient. And as I've often said, I actually wrote a piece a couple years ago for Newsweek, the title of which was um, Anthony Fauci, We Climate Scientists Feel Your Pain, because we've been there. We, we, we saw it coming. Um, right. we, we, it's just what's so remarkable is to see how it played out on such an accelerated the sort of disinformation campaign and the evolution from, you know, denying the problem to denying the solutions to the problem, rather than playing out over decades as it did with climate, it literally played out like over a year. And so we yeah. saw it on this incredibly accelerated time frame. But the bottom line is the weaponization of the ignorance about it, the views of scientists and elites for the purpose of maintaining this rabble that can allow, you know, the Republican Party to continue to win elections and keep, you know, the the wealth in the hands of the small number, the, you know, the handful of plutocrats who are basically running the show. Absolutely. And I think the one of my biggest takeaways from this conversation, okay, I have I have many takeaways, but one of the biggest is a reminder to everyone that so much of what we are seeing and hearing and believing in comes, even if it's that climate change is being denied by millions and millions of people is not necessarily true. This is propaganda delivered to us yep. by bots um, and then spread far, for, spread it around from there. Bots, because both would be right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say <laughs> yes. both of them? <laughs> but not Vox. Vox is actually quite good. So Fox is very good. And, it's a very um, unfortunate Fox Vox. It's a massively confusing. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily give them that title, but hopefully Vox will win over will win over Fox at the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so we we leave on a giggle because really that's the best thing we have, and to so make like sure Carl that everyone Plink votes. From Hogan's Heroes or something. I don't yeah. know. I'm trying to. <laughs> or uh, uh or like the uh no it was more like the 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 red skull of uh captain america um i don't yeah. know, i'm trying to you you brought sort of a few <laughs> different <laughs> elements mix and just try and make it you know understandable for people of my <laughs> my low my low cultural uh you know background <laughs> Um, but I thank you so much. I'm sorry I can't share this crostata with you, but I thank no. you well, for we'll, sharing. Well, let's do it again sometime, and and I would love to to share in the crostata then, or whatever you're baking. It'll I'm I'll sure bake you, whatever you want. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling another good book is in you um, because there are five that precede this one. I really, really, really encourage people, maybe people who don't even necessarily pick up books that are sort of science forward. This book is beautifully written so everyone can understand it and um you know i hope it's used in colleges everywhere well, thank you for, so much it really means a lot um thank you so much and keep up the good work as we say you too i look uh, forward to, to <laughs> staying in touch thank you for listening you can pre-order dr man's book our fragile moment wherever fine books are pre-ordered and i highly recommend following him on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, where his tweets are full of science and a touch of snark. You can find me at marissarothkopf.substack.com or marissarothkopfeats, or however I pronounce my name incorrectly, but it's marissarothkopfeats on Instagram. And if you're hanging around threads, gosh, join me and the other 
100,000 people on there or whatever. And please give a follow at marissarothkopf.eats there. Um, thank you and have a great week.